0: Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 13, verse 1. We're just going to look at this one verse. There is a greater context of the church living in a pagan world. But we just want to look at the beginning verse here, because uh, we may have a new king that we need to be praying for, <laughs> um, not unlike um, the stringers. So um, let's pray and, and ask the Lord to help us and encourage us. I want you to go away encouraged. God's still on his throne, right? So let's, let's be encouraged. Father, thank you for this time together with missionaries. They are a good reminder to us to be diligent with the gospel, to get to God, get to Jesus quickly in our conversations, Lord. Uh, what a good reminder. And then just living daily in light of the gospel, in our conversations, the way we conduct ourselves, Lord. And Father, here in the States, more than ever, Lord, do we need to be that, shining light of the Lord Jesus Christ, his word. All those blessings that we have, Lord, the world desperately needs. So Father, encourage us, Lord, tonight. Help us not fear the future. Help us to look forward to what you're doing and how you're gonna use us individually and how you're gonna use Riverbend in the days and times and years to come, Lord. So encourage our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. Paul wrote to the Philippian church, he said, Be anxious for nothing. Pretty interesting first couple of words, huh? Anybody found themselves anxious last night? Anybody not sleep well? Bible says, be anxious for nothing but in everything. In prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Even when it doesn't seem like it's going the way we want, we're to be thankful. Let your request be made known to God. I think sometimes we carry things and we don't tell God about them, do we? We just carry it. That's not a thankful heart. Verse seven, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard, protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of language the New Testament uses throughout it. They lived in a very pagan world. From the time of Christ's death and resurrection, things did not get better as the church took off. In fact, they got worse. For many, many years, church history tells us the first several centuries were devastating to the church. And that has been on and off throughout the world for many years and many centuries But here we find a text where the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, is telling the church in Rome. Maybe the one of the worst places to be a Christian. Telling the church in Rome, this is how I want you to think and live. Notice what he says: Every person is to be in subjection, hupatasso, submission, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Cheating or not cheating. <laughs> we have to remember that. I know it's hard, isn't it? We, we are into fairness in America. We, at least we used to be. Nothing happens outside of God's control when it comes to this. Notice, and those which exist are established by God. God establishes all government good bad and indifferent. Now, as you look at this text clearly that clearly it's teaching us that God's telling Christians in this text he uses the term look known as every human being I think that takes us in to submit or be in subjection to these governing authorities. Now, the word hubatasso that we translate in ESB's subjection or submission here It carries the idea of genuinely honoring, genuinely respecting. Now, let me give you a little caveat. I wrote most of the sermon on Monday and Tuesday. I cleaned it up a little bit today as I was working on it, watching events unfold. But I have not changed since I've heard news. There's a genuineness that God is calling us to honor the king, to honor government. Being genuine about how we do that. That's a challenge for Christians. And, and, and it's gonna challenge us if things do not go the way we would like them, that could be even more challenging as time comes. And, and understand the context is the church in Rome. This is the worship of Caesar. This is a work, worship of pagan world, plurality of gods and 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 paganism, and immorality, and so forth, was rampant. I know we talk about things, and the way they're going, and we've seen a shift in the families, and all this stuff that's going on, but this is not new. The church has lived within rampant immorality for centuries, and so this was a difficult task for this church living in this extreme pagan environment, and pagan government, but but we must also emphasize that this command is not just written to Rome, it's written to us. Not just to the Roman church. And we know this because the other apostles pick up on this. 1 Peter chapter two, you can just, I'm gonna give you lots of passages this morning or this evening and you can write them down and encourage yourself later. But Peter tells the church that not is just In Rome, Peter starts listening, right, in Bithena and uh, Cappadocia and Asia. And he lists, remember on the start of 1 Peter, lists all those places because persecution had driven the believers into different places and the church was being scattered and starting in new places. And that's often what God does with persecution is he scatters us so the word will go forth. And so he's writing to this church that's scattered. And he says in chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. He just doesn't say, submit yourself to every human institution. He says, do it for the Lord's sake. The word, we get the idea of his glory, his person, who he is. It's a, that's a whole new meaning. Okay, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And, and in some cases we go, I can't do it for any other reason. I have to do it for you because I don't see anything humanly why I would do it. Because it's so far against what we believe. And so he, Peter says, submit to human institutions for the sake, the glory of God, whether to a king or as one in authority or governors as sent by him for punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. He's going to. There's part of that, right? There's government for that. But he says, he goes on to say this, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men and we may have a greater opportunity to do, to do greater good, to, do, to, to show the gospel in greater ways that highlights our God. Now it may bring persecution or hatred, but it will also show foolish men who are ignorant of the truth when we stand for the things of God. Peter goes on to say, act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. But use it as a bondservant of God. And then he ends with this. He says, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor the king. Kyle and Della told me in my office on Monday, they said, one of the, and they, you heard it today, that they pray for the king of the country they're in. And those Muslim relationships that they're having, and they come, you, an outsider, are praying for our king who believes completely different than you do. Why? And it gives them an opportunity to take them to the text and show what God's word says about that. And we should honor those who God places in authority. Paul elsewhere says in Titus chapter 3, verse 1 remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, not to malign no one, to be peaceable, listen to this, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. There's going to be problems if this thing goes the way it looks like it's going, right? How are Christians going to respond? How are we going to Handle the change in government that may lead to loss of freedoms in the way we believe. I love Apostle Paul, he gives great application to living a gospel life in regards to government and so forth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. Listen to this. But we urge you, we beg you, plead you. He's, he's trying to get the brethren to think about this. Brethren, to ex, you are to excel still more and to make it your ambition. Now listen to this, church. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, and work with your hands. Now this is a great admonishment. Because sometimes we don't live a very quiet life. And, and this, isn't, this doesn't mean that you can't speak up for the unborn or anything. Like it's not at all. We, would, we stand for the unborn. We'll go to jail for that, won't we? We'll go to jail for the ability to stand here and preach openly for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, that's not what I was talking about. But the goal is not for us to go out and cause problems. We are the solution. <laughs> we carry the solution. And so we're to live, think about that, quiet lives. Quiet lives. People in politics don't live a very quiet life, do they? It's not very quiet. Clanging gongs, right? Then he says this, just as I commanded you. He's also telling us to be, take to our own business. God has businesses and different things. He has all callings. We all do different things. Work with your hands just as I commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in need of anything. Half of our nation is in need of something from the government. It's one of our problems, isn't it? He says, Keep your mouth shut, work hard, don't be in need of something. See, that's a difference in us. And that gives us so much opportunity. I think the Bible teaches us to be industrious people, to be industrious, start businesses be in people's life one of the things that a lot of our missionaries do to be in country is they have businesses and kyle talked about going and they talk about business and there's an opportunity and they're there that's the only way they can be there is they have a business there but it's such inroads not everybody gets to stand in this pulpit and do what i get to do you actually get to do something i don't do you are meeting with people who will never come to my office They'll never come and cross paths with me. They're scared to death of me. You ought to see when I tell them what I do, what they do. You have such a great opportunity. Be industrious, work with your hands, live a quiet life, look for opportunities to preach the gospel to them, to share, get to Jesus quickly. Amen? What a great reminder. Listen, brothers and sisters, down through Christendom, many Christian leaders and faithful believers have modeled how to live under pagan governments. Leaders would often instruct their fellow members to to represent Christ, even in mistreatment. Represent Christ when when you're mistreated. Obey every law, they would tell them, just or unjust, with, with the exception of the laws that would force you or cause you to cease to worship or to gather or to obey the Bible Do everything they tell you, even if it's unjust. I wish I could, I had a thousand different examples of what time limits me, and I'm going to skip some of those. But I've been in Russia, I've been in India, and I've been around the world in different places, and I talked to believers who've seen great persecution and the injustices that they had to go through and how they had to live under unjust means so that they could share the gospel with people. See, that's scary to us as Americans, isn't it? When we see injustice, we go crazy, right? In fact, we, just re, we actually now retitle justice and, and so forth. But not the Christian. The Christian is commanded to live even when it's unjust Peter. Peter does such a good job of that passage. If you follow that on down in chapter two, he will get depth and depthly, even when you are unjustly uh, treated, honor the Lord. See, that's the big difference in us. And that gives us an idea and an opportunity to share the gospel. The apostles were treated unjustly, weren't they? They even went to prison and they trusted the Lord to provide their escape, right? Peter, preaching the gospel, got thrown into jail. He's in there, angel comes, takes his shackles off, opens the doors, leads them out. Or when like uh, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, they're accused falsely, unjustly treated went to prison, even though they were Roman citizens, what they did to them was illegal. They waited for God to act. Of course, he shook the, the, the jail that night and saved the Philippian jailer and his family and started the birth of the, the, uh, the Philippi church um, that night. But they waited. And the next day, they got brought in front of them. And man, they were scared. They, had, they, had, they waited on God because they treated them unjustly. It isn't hard, there's so many examples, I just wrote down a few, but think of Daniel and his three friends who refused to worship false gods, but respectfully, respectfully and reverently spoke to the pagan governments, the governors and kings. I just read through Daniel just recently, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in different circumstances, and each time, though they had to take a stand, we we can't bow down to your God respectfully, if you study that language, they are very respectful in how they do that. No, they still get thrown into the, into the uh, furnace. But there was God to protect them. And they said even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. But if you study the language, they are respectful. You get into the New Testament. That's an interesting study when we think about uh, the church being persecuted. There came a time when Peter and John experienced unjust suffering for their obedience and, and yet, in it, they spoke very carefully. Acts chapter 4, they've been before the, the group of men. Men basically made up the Sanhedrin who had crucified Christ. And they're there and they're challenged. And the men say to them, they say, when, when they were summoned to them, they, those are the religious leaders, This is the religious government that Jew was, the Jew was under at this time, said, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. In many places, even our missionaries tonight, it's illegal to do that. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen. They are not calling them names. They are not fighting with them. They're just saying, here's what we believe. Yes, this could cost us. We may get that opportunity. As you follow it along, they, they, they knew they were commanded by Jesus to take the message into the gospel world. They knew it was not going to be easy. And for them to obey human rulers would mean to disobey the divine ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ, when it came to assemble and preaching the gospels and so forth. Again, it goes on in the next few days they end up back in front of these men again in Acts chapter 5 verse 28 and and they were saying to them they came back and said we strictly gave you orders not to continue teaching in his name and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching I think they did a good job didn't they (laughs) I think that was a good good examination you filled the man wouldn't that be great we were known that we filled Ormond Beach and Daytona and Volusia County with the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ Riverbend did that you guys have you're, you're trying to take over the whole area. Well, we're not trying to take it over. We just want everybody to know Jesus. It would be nice if our church would be known for that. But then Peter goes. He's, Peter and the apostles answer, They said, well, we must obey God rather than men. There are times to do that. But my point it is reverent in it. I know there's been a lot of chatter on social media, which I stay far off of. Um, of churches that met and they shouldn't have and all that stuff. Well, we as elders believe there was a time and point to say, mm, you're asking us to do something that's, that God clearly commands us to do. And there's a point where we were gonna go. Of course, our, our governor came and said, yeah, you guys should meet. And of course, it all worked out. But that's what we were willing to do. But the, the apostles in all of this, when you study this, they act respectful and honor them. They don't mock their leaders um, they don't start marches and, and, you know, all kinds of things to, to cause problems. They honored them. But there came a time to obey God rather than men. And when that time came, they gathered as a church and they proclaimed the gospel. But regardless of the failures of our governor, government, and, and even in immoral and unjust and ungodly people who fill seats of government, Christians are to honor them, and not only honor them, we're told to pray for them. Are you ready to pray for a new president? To pray for his salvation? To pray for his leadership, his cabinets? All of those, are we ready to do that? So our influence will never come from massive protests and marches, They'll never come, our influence will never come from selfish living and rebellion. That's not where a gospel influence is going to come from. Our greatest influence in a pagan world is our personal and corporate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you get that? That's your greatest influence on government on this pagan world is our personal relationship and corporate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. One-on-one, how we conduct ourselves, and then how we conduct ourselves as a church. That will make the mark. Like so many before us, we have both the right and obligation to confront and oppose sin, right, and evil in our society, that's, that's, we're going to do that. We're going to stand for the family, the biblical family. We're going to stand for life of the unborn and life of the elderly. But God's word has instructed us how to live and how to confront, which is completely different than the world. Jesus said this, Matthew five sixteen. What a great verse here. Let your light shine before men in such a way. This, I love picking out little phrases and verses, right? Doesn't that make some sense? Um, let your light shine before men in such a way. Well, what way? What way, Jesus, should we let our light shine? That they may see your good works. Not your fighting and protesting and, and feeling sorry and lawsuits and all the things that will come, right? Not the church. Let them see your good works and then what happens? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, this is our role, this is what God has called us, no matter who takes, in, takes the presidency, that's how Christians act. And, and remember this, we were in a prayer time with our staff this week, and one of the pastors prayed this, and he was praying this verse, he said this, for our citizenship is in heaven. Man, that was a good reminder. I don't know what your visa says when you travel But your spiritual visa says you belong in heaven. That's your home. That's where you reside. That's where we will spend eternity. And so our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly await a savior. Someone told me tonight, they said this whole thing has made me long for Jesus' return. And I think that's good. But get up tomorrow and live for him. Get up tomorrow and live for him. First John chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, listen to this. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. <laughs> Is that not a true verse? I mean, all verses are true, but I mean, think about that. I mean, in our day and age, think about that. This great statement the Apostle John made, we know that we are of God. He's speaking of the church, those who are truly saved through Christ alone. And that the whole world lies under the sway, under the power, under the authority of the evil one. People often ask me, they say, well, you know, when, when Satan took Jesus up on the Pinnacle and said, showed him the kingdoms of the world, how can he do that? He doesn't, he doesn't own all things. God owns all things. No, he doesn't. Not in that case. Not what he was talking about. He's talking about the souls of people. And Satan has control of that because Ephesians tells us that we used to belong to the one who works in the sons of disobedience. And so he holds sway, he holds power over that. And then John says this, and we know that the Son of God has come. He came to this earth. That's talking about his death, burial and resurrection as well. And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Oh, brothers and sisters, we understand truth. The world has nothing to do with truth anymore. Truth is so far from the world's mind and heart anymore. In fact, they will tell you when they're awesome, they they're just like Pilate. Oh, who who knows truth? What is truth? We know truth. Let me show you one more text, and then we'll be done here. I'm going to go to Colossians chapter one. I, I I studied this passage years ago, and I preached it when I think I first got here. I preached through Colossians, but my mind ran to it as I was thinking about this lesson tonight. And there are several things that just jumped out at me. Colossians one i we'll start in verse 21. It says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. <laughs> that was us, right? That's us before salvation. Yet, verse 22, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. So that he, in verse 22, is Jesus Christ. Jesus has now reconciled you. He's He's changed your position. That's what that word means. And he did it fleshly. He did it through his fleshly body through death. I love this verse because there's people who say, well, Jesus really wasn't here. You know, it was a spirit. No, no, he did it fleshly. It's what we remember every time we take communion. He bodily died for us. And that's how Jesus reconciled us to God. And notice the results of his reconciliation is in verse 22. In order to present you, don't you love that? You, believer, before him, God, before Jesus, for himself, before the Trinity really, talking about God, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now think of yourself today. Can you see yourself as holy, blameless and beyond reproach? Well, sometimes we don't see ourselves that way, but that's not how God sees us. God sees us perfectly forgiven, and Jesus did this through his body, bodily death, and we stand, our position, our sanctified position, our justified position is holy and blameless and above reproach. This is what the Lord has done. Now, this causes some problems. Well, first, verse 23, If to, to, to make sure this has really happened to you, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not move away from the hope of the gospel. Well, that's just the result, right? It tells you whether you're saved or not. You keep running, right? You're a part of the race. You're you're, you're running and and you keep going. Not always easy. Sometimes we stumble, but we're we're part of it. We're moving along. We're standing firm in the gospel in in our position. But then verse 24 helps us, reminds us that this leads us into some problems. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Following Jesus Christ, whether you're a leader in the church or you're a part of the church membership, is going to bring suffering to you at some level. And so Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, for your position now in God. And in my flesh, look at this, I do my share on behalf of his body. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, whatever God calls me, which is the church. And look what he says, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's what I think it means. Here's what I believe this passage means. It means they can no longer kill Christ because they already killed him. He raised from the dead and, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. So guess who they go after now? Us. And Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. They can't beat Christ. They can't nail him. They can't kill him anymore. So that's what they do to us. But look, I'm willing to do this because of my standing because I've been reconciled with God I don't know that this those in this room will see that kind of persecution but are we willing are we willing I don't maybe it's why we don't send many missionaries anymore maybe we've got so comfortable and we are so afraid of injustices or unjust behavior of somebody towards us that We're so comfortable here, we would never go there. One of the things Kyle and Della told me the first time I met them, they said they had been kicked out of Tunisia. (laughs) And uh, they said, We've already been kicked out of a country for the gospel. It's like we crossed that hurdle, like, well, okay, we survived. Where next? Sometimes we need to go through that. Sometimes we need to have somebody reject uh, the gospel and feel like they rejected us and realize that we got a chance to stand for the Lord and, 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 we, and we feel strengthened to do those things because we fill up the suffering of Christ. Well, just a couple more thoughts and I'll be done. Paul gives a closing benediction to 1 Timothy when his first letter to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 13, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and to Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a lot of discussion of what that commandment is, but there doesn't seem to be contextually any one thing that that would be the commandment there. And so we, most likely what he's speaking about is the commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your mind and strength. Love the word of God. I think it's probably centered around the word of God. So keep the word of God as I think the idea here. But then verse 15, which he will bring about at the proper time, now listen to this. He who is the blessed and, and only sovereign, and I love this, is woke me up this morning to this. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the lord of lords. That's hope. We may have a new king, quote. But we have a king of kings and a lord of lords. And every president and every king and every ruler will bow their knee and call him lord. And we put our hope in that. And he is living and alive and he possesses immortality. And the verse says he indwells an unapproachable life whom no man has ever seen or can see. To him be honor in eternal dominion. That's, see, that's what we have to realize. Ultimately, we're citizens of heaven. We just have a visa here for a little bit. But this is not our home. We soon will go back. Jesus told the disciples when he was getting ready to leave in John fourteen twenty seven. He said, peace I leave with you. Peace I will give you. My peace. I will give you. Do you have Jesus' peace tonight? And that's a gift. That is a massive gift to have Jesus' peace. Because he says, I'll leave it with you. I'll give it to you. And then he says, not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be fearful. You heard that I said, I am going away and I will come again. What a blessed reminder. Well, what now? Well, First, God still reigns, right? God's throne is still over all. Psalms 103, verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. No matter who ends up the president of the United States, what congressmen and house and all the rulers and all that, the Lord rules over them. Second, God establishes government and his leaders. We saw that in Romans 13.1, but Daniel said this, it is he who charges the times and the epics, changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. He removes kings and he establishes kings. Good reminder. Third, pray for your, your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Paul had to remind Timothy of that. Paul was in prison when he wrote that first letter to Timothy and maybe they were frustrated maybe they were mad at the government maybe maybe they they were fearful and not reaching out and not in continued to build the church maybe they were stopped and so he says first of all i want you to know this first of all i urge you in treaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all those who are in authority so that you may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity this is a good acceptable in the sight of god our savior See, we're not the only ones that get a little nervous at times. Respect authorities, we saw that in Peter. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And then finally, government is not our hope. (laughs) I know you know this, but we need to be reminded of this. Psalms 146, three through six. Do not trust in princesses, in mortal men. Now listen to this. In whom there is no salvation. Uh, We could have the greatest human president And he can't save you. And so we're fools to think that maybe that would come. You know, as you watch the world, they are looking for utopia, aren't they? They keep trying to figure out how to give everybody everything. They're, They're missing something, aren't they? Sin. They'll never, ever figure that out. But we have a God who's in control of all of those things. And so we do not put our hope in mortal men the Bible says that his spirit will depart, he returns to the earth, and in that day his thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps, listen to this, who keeps faith forever. What a statement. So do your best. I'm sure many of you, if not everyone in this room, vote it. But put your hope, put your hope in our Heavenly Father. Put your trust in Him. What does God have for Riverbend? What is He going to do with us? A group of people who love Jesus, who sing, who study the Word of God, who pray fervently. What is He going to do with us? Are you just a church member or are you looking forward to something else? I'm just holding down my seat and trying to help somewhere. Hey, we got to get beyond that, folks. What's he going to do with us? I can't wait. I really can't wait to see what's going to unfold and how the Lord will use us. I hope you're encouraged. Go home, remind yourself of these verses. Lay your head down tonight and say, My hope is in you, Lord. My hope is in you. And go to sleep. And trust him. Amen? Father, we're... So grateful to be together, Lord. We're going to take advantage of that every moment we can. We thank you that our hope is not in mortal men who their very thoughts, their very simple wisdom will perish with them. Our hope is in the Lord. Especially in our Lord Jesus Christ who has shown us the Father. Who has died in our place. Who has made us holy and blameless and above reproaches we read today. That's who our hope's in. And Lord, we want to be examples here of good Christians. We're not here to march and fight and make a fuss. We're here to live quiet and tranquil, tranquil lives, Lord. and Not to draw attention to us in an unnecessary way, but to be here and to be lights in a world where we can show what our Father has done in our lives. So, Father, help us in that. It's easy in times like these to get get our arms all up in the air. We don't like unfairness. We don't like injustice. And yet, Lord, you went through all of that. You did not revile when you were reviled. You did not utter threats when you were threatened but you kept trusting yourself to the one who judges righteously. Thank you for the example you have set for us, Lord. May we walk in your footsteps and not man's. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.